Greetings, Cap fans, and welcome to episode 19 of the Captain America Comic Book Fans Podcast. I am your host, Rick Verbanis, and as always, I am joined by my partner, Bob Lucius. Bob, what's shaking? Oh, Rick, Rick, Rick! We're, this is an exciting show today. I, I am such a fan of, uh, of this run and this particular storyline. Uh, I'm just, I'm super stoked to get into it. Well, I am too. I know this will be the first time that we are talking about the Ed Brubaker run of Captain America, which is volume five, came out in 2004. Uh, very excited to talk about that, uh, um, specifically about the Winter Soldier story. Uh, so we'll we'll get into that in a moment. Uh, speaking of Winter Soldier, uh, man, that Disney Plus series is uh, out with the Falcon and Winter Soldier. Um, having fun uh, doing that podcast as well. So uh, it was fun chatting with Ash uh, this last episode. And we're going to continue to keep doing that after each um, new episode comes out of the, uh, the series. So we're having fun there too. Yeah, that, that, that show has uh, uh, hit like a bombshell, right? Uh, and I got to tell you, my son and I watched it and it was, uh, it was amazing that we could both enjoy it. Both got something out of it. So I can't wait uh, to, uh, to share our, our perspectives uh, with our listeners. Yeah. And, and, if, and if you're watching that show uh, or, um, you know, know the Winter Soldier from the MCU, but you really haven't gotten into the comic books, you're not, not sure about that, then this podcast is for you. So we are going to get into the introduction of the Winter Soldier in uh, the Captain America comic books. And we, we actually have to break this up into two parts. Uh, it's a six-part story. We don't want to rush through it. So we're going to go ahead in this episode, cover Winter Soldiers Part 1, 2, and 3, uh, which is Captain America Volume 5, uh, Issues 8, 9, and 11. Uh, and we, uh, th- we'll, we'll get into a little bit of Bucky, but you know, basically his introduction as the character Winter Soldier. So you were in the right place. And... I also want to give a little uh, uh, announcement here that after we get through parts one and two uh, in this podcast series about the Winter Soldier, we're going to follow that up with one of the artists from this series, and that is Mr. Mike Perkins. If you're a Cap fan, uh, this these next few episodes are like uh, gold. It's like Easter came early. Yeah, that's true. Yep. So that'll be fun talking with Mike uh, to get his perspective on what it was like to, to be involved with uh, these issues and other Captain America issues um, throughout his time. So uh, that's the next few episodes coming up. In addition to the Falcon and Winter Soldier reaction podcast, man, we got a lot going on. I know this. Uh, this seems like a full time job, Rick, if it wasn't <laughs> so damn fun. It does. It sometimes it does. Uh, You know, and and, in addition to this, uh, we have our uh, Captain America comic book fans Facebook page. And uh, that certainly uh, is a lot of fun as far as and time consuming. Right. We got a lot going on there. Uh, So if you if you haven't been on the Facebook page or haven't in a while, you really should check it out uh, because we have uh, going on now in the spirit of the NCAA uh, basketball tournament, uh, we put together a 
uh, a bracket of the uh, 32 Captain America artists from the last 80 years. And we're going to have uh, some fun with this, right? So uh, we're going to have uh, different artists being uh, going up against each other. And you as a Captain America comic book fan can go ahead and vote on which one. And then uh, we'll have just like in any bracket, uh, they will advance to to we have one final favorite Captain America artist, uh, at least voted by uh, this particular uh, Facebook group. Uh, and so that, that, hey, that's, that's a lot of fun too. Yeah, and Rick has already, uh, he's already uh, forsworn uh, picking the final winner because we know who Rick's favorite is already. I'm looking at him right now and I can tell already from uh, his uh, man cave who his favorite is. But Rob Liefeld, you knew. <laughs> yeah, that, that wasn't going to be my first guess, but uh, yeah. But so, but this is, uh, this is your chance to vote for who you think the best is and, uh, and move them, move them toward the, the winner's circle. Yeah. And also I, I want to point out, you know, as far as the quote unquote seating is concerned regarding this, right. Um, I, I try to be as fair as possible. I mean, like, I'm not going to go ahead and seed these based on what I think are the, the best artists versus, you know, and all that stuff. I just did it alphabetical because to me, that was the most fair way to do it and to prove how fair I am being Bob. Yes. My favorite cap artist, we all know it's Mike Zek, right? Who do I have Mike Zek going up against? None other than the co-creator of Captain America, Joe Simon. Because alphabetically, that's how it fell. So yeah, if I wanted to, uh, you know, really make this, I would have said, oh yeah, we'll have Zek go up against uh, this guy that hardly anybody knows. But I'm trying to, to do do it fair and and just have fun, right? Yeah, it's all so about the fun. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So. Although, uh, Rick, I think how many how many members do we have now in the Facebook group? Uh, over twenty eight hundred. Man. Yeah. 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 We're we're actually coming up on a year that uh, I launched this Facebook group because uh, I launched it. I want to say April second of twenty twenty. So we're coming up on a year and um, coming up on three thousand members. Yeah, we got to do something big for the for three K. Yeah. Yeah, we should. Maybe we'll have another contest and we'll, yeah. we'll give something away. That's a great idea. Speaking of contests, I think it's uh, time that we announce our winner of the very first contest that we had here on the podcast. And that is Mr. James Foley. And uh, we uh, we got a chance to uh, to chat with him uh, to let him know that he won. So um, uh, here's here's our call with James. All right, so we have here now on the line our winner. That's right. We have Mr. James Foley. Uh, hi, James. Hey, Rick. How you doing? Doing well. Well, congratulations. You are the big winner of our first contest for the <laughs> Captain America comic book fans uh, podcast. That is awesome. I really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, well, we appreciate your support uh, because uh, not only um, have you you know, to enter this contest, I know you uh, shared, uh, you know, forwarded one of our posts uh, mm -hmm. into other groups, uh, but you're also uh, one our first uh, um, person to um, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. So you, you're, you know, yep. we appreciate your support. <laughs> Thank you very much. I, I enjoy the podcast every week. I look forward to it. It's my uh, Wednesday morning drive to work. Listen. Oh, nice. 
Nice. Awesome. Yeah. And, and uh, do you, so you've listened to every episode? I've listened to every episode. Do you have a favorite? Uh, the ranking. I, oh. I really enjoyed the supervillain ranking. Yes. That was a lot of fun. That was. Uh, Bob, Bob uh, was a, uh, got into a lot of debates on that one. He, uh... oh, I can imagine. <laughs> I, I still want to I, see I still, I still, I still don't understand how Doughboy Do didn't make it, but you know, I'm, I, you know, is strong contender, my life. but strong contender, but you know, with being the Zola's assistant, it kind of didn't make the mustard. <laughs> oh. my, my girl got in there, so I was happy. <laughs> so what, what can we anticipate? What's, what's the show going to be like when you're, when you're on James, what's the topic? I'm really wanting to, to see, and, and, and we can discuss it for the length, but the, the run where he became the captain when Captain America turned in the uniform and uh, uh, stood down during Mark Grunewald's run. That was when I started collecting. And it, it really just has that most special point in my heart. Oh, that's a good one. Absolutely. We've been, we've been itching to talk about that. So this will be I don't a know good if we excuse. can do all 18. <laughs> no. <laughs> so we'll, we'll have to discuss where we want to break it at. Yes, yeah. I agree. The, the Serpent Society one right in the middle was actually when I started collecting. Awesome. Uh, if you remember the, the cover with him and Ronald Reagan just grabbed me. Yes. As a kid. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, again, congratulations. Uh, not only are you going to be a guest, but you won this Sam Wilson, Captain America, the Complete Collection, Volume 1. Uh, so we'll get that out in the mail to you, plus a couple other things that I owe you. So uh, and look forward to talking to you in an in a, in a upcoming episode. Thank you so much. I'm looking forward to it. All right. Congratulations, James. Uh, we are looking forward to speaking with you here on the podcast. Uh, and, um, you know, look for future uh, chances. Um, we, we are having guests, uh, you know, call in, uh, especially during the, uh, the Falcon and Winter Soldier reaction shows. Uh, so we're getting various guests there, too. Um, and we love hearing from you guys. So you can, uh, if you want, uh, you can also just go to our anchor page, uh, which is listed in the show notes of wherever you're listening to this. Uh, click on that link and go there and uh, leave a, uh, you can leave up to a 60 second recording and, uh, and uh, let us know your thoughts on anything to, to do with Captain America, to do with the podcast, to do with the Facebook group. And maybe we'll play you here on the show. All right, Bob, should we get into Winter Soldier? Yeah, let's do this thing. Okay. So before I get into Winter Soldier part one, uh, which is issue number eight of the 2004 Captain America series, volume five. Um, I want to mention uh, issue number six, because really that's the first appearance in the comic books of Winter Soldier. And uh, it's, he's, uh, and at that point, uh, Sharon uh, is being rescued by Steve uh, on a rooftop in Philadelphia. And um, she, she mentions you know, this is this is a setup, right? You 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 were brought here, and um, and Steve, I think I think it was Bucky, and then we we cut to a scene where here's Bucky, uh, not not Bucky, I'm sorry, Winter Soldier, and he's on another rooftop with a sniper rifle, and he's got Cap in his scopes, and uh, he's being told by uh, General Lucan to uh, to stand down and proceed with the mission, and the mission was to blow up a bomb in downtown Philadelphia. And that's where issue six 
is is left. Uh, we also see uh, Nick Fury going through some photos, putting some pieces together, um, and uh, and then there's issue seven, which is a standalone issue, and it's all about Jack Monroe, Nomad, the the the, the Bucky of the 1950s. Uh, so it's what basically has happened with him, uh, his struggle with um, uh, this uh, dying from from the super soldier serum that uh, they were injecting back in the 50s, uh, his last year. And uh, it's a really, really sad story. Yeah, and, and it's, um, a, it's a tearjerker, Rick. I mean. Wow. And it ends with, um, well, it begins and ends with um, the Winter Soldier uh, killing him. So that was issue seven. All right. So we know this character exists. Uh, we know he's a bad, bad guy. And now, uh, and we were introduced that it's possibly Bucky. So here we are. Winter Soldier Part 1, Issue 8. And on the cover is, it's a it's a city line in the background. Um, and the whole cover is done in this, this red um, that uh, looks like it's, you know, uh, everything's on fire. So we can assume that this is the downtown Philadelphia after the explosion in Issue 6. And uh, on the ground is just Cap's shield with some, some smoke coming up off of it and some rubble. It's in a very evocative sort of cover, right? I mean, it, it's destruction uh, and it's foreboding, right? There's yes. something foreboding about this. Uh, makes you go, oh, something, something, something bad's going to happen here. Yes. All right. So, uh, and by the way, this is uh, written by uh, Ed Brubaker and it is uh, penciled by Steve Epting and finishes by Steve Epting and Mike Perkins. And um, colorist is Frank D'Amato. And then we have on editor is Tom Brevoort. So the first page is, says April, 1945, the English Channel near Dover. Experimental Soviet spy submarine heading toward German waters. And essentially uh, this is, um, uh, Inside the sub, um, the uh, there's a guy who's got a you know sonar headphones on, and he says, "Captain." And this is all you know being um, translated from from Russian, right? Captain, we're picking up a German transmission. Can you decode it? That's just it, sir. It's an open transmission, not coded. What are they saying? They no, that cannot be right. Out with it! Don't keep Comrade Kaprov waiting. They're broadcasting the news of all frequencies, claiming they just blew up Captain America over the Channel Islands. And Comrade Kapoff says, how far are we from these Channel Islands? So then we get to the next page, uh, which is a recap page, which is something Marvel, you know, was doing, uh, started doing around this time. And uh, I'm going to read the top uh, which is the introduction of the Captain America. Cause you know, we've, we've done that from when Roger Stern and John Byrne took over and they kind of changed it. So this one's a little different as well. Uh, I'm not going to do this for every issue, but um, I figure it's important. It says during the dark days of the early 1940s, a covert military experiment turned Steve Rogers into America's first super soldier, Captain America throughout the war. Cap and his partner, Bucky fought alongside 
our infantry, and with a group of heroes known as the Invaders. In the closing months of World War II, Captain America and Bucky were both presumed dead in an explosion over the English Channel. Decades later, a figure was found trapped in ice, and Captain America was revived. Having slept through more than half of the 20th century, Steve Rogers awakened to a world he never imagined, a world where war had moved from the battlefield to the city streets, a world dire in need of Captain America. So the recap reads, Alexander Lukin, a rogue Soviet general, used a cybernetic assassin to kill the Red Skull and steal from him a slightly damaged cosmic cube. Lukin used the energy left in the cube to torment Captain America by unlocking memories that had been repressed since Cap awoke from the ice. In the midst of this mental assault, Cap and S.H.I.E.L.D. were kept busy chasing down the remains of the Red Skull's plot to use weapons of mass destruction in large cities throughout the world. Meanwhile, Lucan put his own plans into motion, stealing a WMD designed by AIM to power the Cosmic Cube, and having his assassin kill Jack Monroe, a.k.a. Nomad, and set him up to be the fall guy for what would come next. Finally, Cap was lured to Philadelphia to rescue his one-time love, S.H.I.E.L.D. agent Sharon Carter, who had just enough time to tell him she thinks Lucan's elusive assassin is actually Bucky, before the last piece of Lucan's plan was put into motion. Cap and Sharon could only watch in horror as the WMD went off and destroyed a large chunk of downtown Philadelphia, killing untold numbers of innocents. And through that death and destruction, the Cosmic Cube in Alexander Lucan's possession has now become fully charged. Shield Helicarrier, headquarters of the UN Peacekeeping Task Force, present day. So Cap and uh, Sharon are sitting at a table with S.H.I.E.L.D. Director Nick Fury. And Steve says, I'm sorry, what am I supposed to be looking at here, Fury? I think you can figure it out, Rogers. Just look. Sharon says, I already told him, Nick. He's not going to listen. And there's pictures of um, a man circled in all these different times and places. So Steve says, so you expect me to believe what? That these are pictures of Bucky? Then Sharon's right. I'm not going to listen to that. Steve, I saw him up close. You, it's a trick. Nick says, isn't that what you said when the Red Skull was killed? No, this, this is different. This, you expect me to believe that Bucky is still alive, that he's working for the enemy, that he's responsible for what happened in Philadelphia last night? And then we cut to another page, and it's last night. And there's Steve uh, running from a burning building holding two kids with a shield over his head, shielding them. And the kids are crying. And he's, he's yelling, I've got you. Just hang on tight. And he jumps out of a, a window from a tall building, using the shield to ricochet and bounce off of a, a, a looks like a burning uh, school bus. And he tells the kids, and this is, the beautiful art by Steve Epting, right? I mean, it's just, um, everything is just like the cover. Everything is red. Yeah, and, and every panel is just eye, eye, eye candy. Yeah. And so he says to the kids, listen to me, and he's pointing. You're all right, but you need to move quickly, okay? Just follow the others and keep your little brother with you. Hold his hand. It's, it's not far to safety. Can you do that? 
And the little girl says, yeah, yes, sir. Thank you. And he gets on his intercom. Two kids on their way out, Sharon. Make sure they find their parents. I'll try having a hard enough time just making sure all these people stay in one place. Just do what you can. I love that, right? Cap, Cap's, a, Cap, Cap's so reassuring. Yes, yeah. I mean, he, he, he's giving orders, but then he's like, just do what you can. He, he understands yeah. that everybody's in a, in a tough situation. Yeah, human weaknesses, human frailties. And uh, I mean, we just got to do the best we can. So she says, listen, shield response units should be on site in a few minutes to help. But, and he's like, what is it? It's just, I thought I caught a, glint, a glance of something through the smoke that I think you better check out. So we cut to the next page and there's a, a man uh, over top of a woman. And um, he's saying, just, just hang, hang on, honey. You're going to be all right. The rescue teams are here. Hey, over here, my wife needs help. And these rescuers are not rescuers, right? They, they're hive uh, agents. And they, they got those classic yellow uniforms with the little beehives on their head. And they say, no witnesses. So then you, you see off panel uh, them getting shot. We're close now. Well, we better be. We've got about two minutes before this place is swarming with shield and everybody else. So we just leave whatever's left of our technology for them to find? No, of course not. Besides, these readings I'm getting are worth the risk. Just look at this place. We, not, we, not, we may not have set the bomb, but this destruction is by our design. And the next page, here comes Cap, punching out one of the guys. And he says, and you're proud of that? And they're firing at him with their machine guns. But, of course, he's got his shield, uh, and he makes little work of them, right? He's, he tosses the shield one way, charges another way, and uh, he's, he's taking down the shield agents um, in these four panels on this one page. It's, it's a really good action sequence. And uh, one of the uh, one of the guys says, oh, God, this isn't. And the next page says, you keep away from us. I'm just a scientist. Cap, Cap, you can see him catching his shield in his left hand. And he says, uh, I know that's the problem with you people. Just studying all the death and, and misery like it's some twisted little ant farm. This is blood you're walking in. People's blood. And he knocks him down. Send in the Modoc squad now, now. And he grabs him by the collar and he says, Modoc squad, you've got two seconds to tell me what the hell that is. And the guy says in fear in his voice and eyes, he says, military operatives designed only for combat. So that's the acronym Modoc. And he, and he looks up at the incoming uh, ship that has these um, uh, hovering um, engines that uh, it's just really, I mean, the, Bob, the, the, the scope of this, the, the storytelling of this artwork is just amazing. And he looks up and he says, you guys never quit, do you? And in the next page is, is it's like a three quarters splash page. And you see these, these uh, figures coming down these uh, ropes and they land in front of them. And there appears to be, you know, I don't know, a half dozen of them. And, um, they're all holding knives and they've got this battle gear on and the, um, 
and again, it's all dark and smoky and you could just, it's the hell of combat, you know, it's just, yeah. it's something else. I love the, uh, just, just the depth of it. Uh, the guys repelling these MODOK operatives repelling at different heights from, from the, uh, the hovering aircraft. It's just, it's, uh, it's, it's really, it's really cool. Yeah. It's, it's like a movie, right? You can almost yeah. like feel the action. And I think it's a great way of pointing out, you know, the different levels these are. I mean, you can almost hear the, you know, like, yeah, it's just, it, it's really good storytelling. And so Cap kind of almost grins. He says, all right, let's go. Next page, uh, we cut to to Nick Fury back in his office. And he's he's there again, surrounded by all these pictures with the with the circles. Um, so that was last night. So now we're, we're back in present day. And Steve, I'm sorry, Nick says, these are surveillance photos taken near airports, train stations, and border crossings, and they're not recent photos. This one is from West Berlin, 1955. Same night, General Keller had his brains blown out. This is London, 1960, the morning after the top man at MI6 was found drowned in his bathtub. This is Switzerland, 1976, same day that the vice chancellor of Wakanda fell off a mountain. He was there for a global economic summit, as well as the skiing. The point is, these are people arriving or leaving around the times of assassinations that had major impact on the Cold War. And in all of them, been able to isolate this man. And the finest facial recognition software in the world tells me it's the same guy. Steve says, yet none of your predecessors ever noticed this? We're talking thousands of crowd photos to look through, and the guy is good. He's in a profile here or there, mostly. And this was the old days. The tech wasn't there yet. Not for stuff like this. You know, Brubaker's, uh, I mean, he's prescient here, right? Because, you know, back when this was written, the tech tech wasn't there really yet either. But it is now. And uh, so it's, it's, uh, it's, it's amazing to me that Brubaker had, uh, had woven this sort of technology uh, into the storyline uh, well in advance of, of its debut in the real world. Yeah, I, I agree. It's, it's a fantastic uh, storytelling um, because he has to build the story. So Nick says, there's something else too, that our 21st century software is able to tell us. Between 1955 and 1976, it's estimated our hitter only aged approximately five years. How is that possible? Well, you and I know a few ways between us, but but this one, best guess is because he's a Cold War myth that's turning out to be true. What myth? They called him the Winter Soldier. Supposed to be the KGB's secret weapon, a guy who could pass for American and slip behind enemy lines or cross borders without raising an eyebrow. Deadly with a knife or a rifle, even deadlier hand-to-hand. And since he was a ghost half the time, they weren't even sure if it was an accident or a murder. Story went that they kept him on ice and only woke him up for the big gigs. He'd be in stasis for five years and out in the world for six months working and back to Rip Van Winkle land once the the bodies hit the morgue. But like I said, until today, the Winter Soldier was a myth. Someone for the suits to hang suspicious deaths on. But as far as I can tell, no one ever really believed it existed. But I do, because I've got this picture from last week at Dulles International. Here he is again, 
about three years older than he was in 1976. And leaving the baggage turnstile, where we later found the weapon that killed the Red Skull. Nick, take a step back here. What are you saying? You can't seriously be implying that the Winter Soldier person is Bucky. Why don't you tell me? You're the one who saw him last night. So we cut to the next page, and we go back to that battle with the with the Modox, and we see Cap in air spinning, uh, surrounded by by five of them all holding their knives and he lands in the middle and he just starts going to town with them with his fists and his shield. And it turns out that these Modocs appear to be like androids because of the, 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 the speech bubble that's coming from them, you know, appears to be that. And, and they all say increase attack speed by 20% at the same time. And cap from, from the back of him, you could just, you know, see him looking down. He's like, hive mind. Wonderful. So at that point, he realizes he can just probably go even heavier on them because he knows they're androids. So he uh, he starts taking them out. And um, he does get uh, a, a knife, uh, you know, slicing to the side of his, his rib cage. Um, and again, he, he leaps over top of them. And he's got his shield and he's just, taking them out um nice battle really nice battle scene that lasts a couple pages here i'm, I'm not doing it justice and then at the uh, the last panel of this particular page um cap looks up and there's a figure there and we see the face of winter soldier and cap says bucky and then there's silence and Winter Soldier is looking down. Cap's waiting for an answer. And Winter Soldier looks up at him and says, who the hell is Bucky? And then there's a big kind of uh, explosion. Looks like a, you know, a building crumbling between the two of them. And when the smoke clears, Winter Soldier's gone. And Steve does not look happy. Damn, Rick! I just got goosebumps like I do every single time I read that sequence. Every single time. You know, I know the guy that owns the page. In fact, he owns almost all of these pages. And uh, he's part of the uh, the Captain America um, comic book fans Facebook group. Um, I'd love to have him on as a guest because he has hundreds of pages. And most of them are, are Steve Epting pages. Um <sighs> Still, still working on on it. But can you imagine owning all of this? I mean, I can't imagine owning one of them, much less you know all of it. Yeah. Well, I don't want to digress Matt, here, but I was lucky enough last year to to get a Steve Epting page uh, from number one, and uh, it's really cool. Uh, I shared it on the Facebook page. Um, I couldn't pass it up. It was because uh, you know it's Captain America number one. It's Steve Epting, and it's a really cool battle scene where uh, Cap is. Um, being shot at by a, a sniper in a helicopter on top of the roof. And he, uh, he goes and he, he throws the shield and, not, and takes out the helicopter helicopter. It's really cool. So I am, I'm very fortunate uh, that I have that. Okay. So coming back to the next page and caps answering Nick's question and he has his back to him 
and he's staring at uh, pictures that are up on screens. And he says, I don't know what I saw. And Nick and Sharon are standing there with their arms crossed. And there's a long period. Cap's just looking at the pictures. And he finally, on the last panel of the page, he reacts and he, he just yells and he punches the monitor, shattering it. And Sharon sees this opportunity. She walks up to him, Steve. So he looks at Nick and he says, so what's the plan, Nick? I know you must have one. I do. We've got a prime suspect in the terror attack on Philadelphia, Alexander Lukin. And unfortunately, if he is our man, he's also a fully charged cosmic cube now. So we're going to have to move fast. Small team, in and out, grab Lukin and get him back here for questioning before they even know he's gone. And if we happen to stumble across anyone else, well, just we'll just cross that bridge, you know? Cap says, I'm in. Rick, I mean, I, I think got to take a minute here because, you know, that, that scene, that panel where uh, Cap smashes the, the view screen. I mean, if you're picking up volume five and you know, like you're just getting into Captain America and you're reading this, you're like, okay, I, I get it. But like anybody who's read Captain America for a long time, who's followed Cap for a long, knows the centrality of Bucky's loss in shaping Captain America's very personality and perspectives in life. And like how, 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 what a core part of his personality that loss was for him. And like the, just the, this is a culmination of, of decades of comic book mythos uh, coming crashing down around him. It's just powerful stuff. Yeah. You're, you're dead right, Bob. Um, you know, anybody who understands, you know, Steve, I mean, it, it was played up a lot more, obviously, when he was first revived, right? In Avengers 4, you know, the first words he yelled were Bucky, I think. Um, it was a reoccurring story in Tales of Suspense. The first several issues of when he got his own series with issue 100, um, you know, it became uh, an in some cases, an overused story, you know, uh, and it wasn't really until later on, I think, um, you know, especially during like Steve Englehart's run, where they finally was like, okay, you got to stop being this, this guy who's pining over Bucky. But obviously, it, it's still a, a huge issue with him. He's moved on with his life. He's come to terms with it. But just when he you know, comes to terms with it, it's being thrown back in his face and not in a good way. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I, I hundred percent agree, but I, even though he's, he's come to terms with it, I think it, it's still in many, many ways uh, it influences his approach to, uh, you know, protecting life and, uh, and not risking life unnecessarily. And I, you know, there was a great, uh, this caught a lot of heat, right? I mean, because there were two guys that uh, were supposed to be dead, permanently dead in the Marvel universe, right? Bucky and, and Uncle Ben, right, right, and to 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 take this tack. I mean, Brubaker was uh, was really, you know, upturning the apple cart uh, uh, in a brilliant way. I think. Yeah, no, I I agree. Uh, and and we can we can. I, I want to talk more about that uh, as we get done these three issues, so we can kind of relate all that together. Um, so getting back to after uh, Cap says he's in, 
um, you know, he leaves and um, uh, we cut and it's just Sharon and Nick. And so Sharon says, I'm worried about him. Last night really took a toll. He's blaming himself. They manipulated him right to a front row seat for this. Take a walk with me, Agent 13. Sir, walk with me. So they're walking through the helicarrier. And Nick, what what the hell's going on? It's Agent Tapper. It's over between me and Neil. What's that got to... No, he was the one who found the Bob last night. He's dead, Sharon. Neil's dead. So he he had to break the news to uh, to Sharon about a former love interest of Sharon. Next page, we go back to how we started, and it's um, going back to uh, that sub, right? That Russian sub. April 1945, the English Channel near the Channel Islands. Anything? I cannot be sure, comrade. The time of year, this is much ice in the water. And we have not tested this new sonar system yet, so we must be on our way. These waters are closely guarded by the British. If they find us sneaking through them with, without Allied approval, don't be a coward, Smirzov. This is the finest vessel in the Soviet fleet. Our sonar shielding is better than even our allies would hope for. Not that they'll ever hear of it. Forgive me, but we're risking so much on a fool's errand. What chance do me? Comrade Kapov, there's something out there. And here's a, a character uh, lying frozen in the water. So they were there uh, to, to go after and, and, of course, we're all thinking, you know, it's Steve, right? Because that's what happened. Steve was found in the water. But instead, we get to the next page, and it's a three-quarter splash page. And who's lying on a table inside a submarine? No, it's not Steve. No, this isn't the Avengers. It's Bucky with his arm blown off, tattered, lying on a table with these Russians around him. And the one guy states the obvious. It's not Captain America. What is this Karpov? And he says, it is hope, my friend, for the future to be continued. Uh, you know, the cool, th the cool thing about that, uh, that splash page, uh, and it sounds, you know, it's in black and white because mm -hmm. it's, it's, a, it's a flashback, but you could see Bucky's costume just like you could see Steve's costume, right? The Captain right. America costume under his, his uh, fatigues. You see Bucky's. I mean, look, it, it, I, I would love to see this in color, but uh, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. It's beautiful. cool. All right. Next issue, issue number nine. And on the cover, great cover by Steve Epting here. Um, we have Captain America standing with his shield up in his left hand. Uh, in the skyline behind him is the helicarrier and several uh, uh, fighter jets. And surrounding Cap underneath him, we have shield agents uh, with their guns, and it uh, looks like they're being fired upon. And then we also have Nick Fury and Sharon Carter. Um, so they're, it's, it's shield being, uh, being attacked. <clears throat> All right. And this one, uh, by the way, uh, still written by uh, Ed Brubaker. Uh, but we, the artist uh, is not Steve Epting. It is actually 
uh, Michael Lark, but is still the same colorist, uh, Frank D'Amato and um, editor. So the, I, I will say this, um, they did an excellent job. Uh, Mike, Mike Brevoort, uh, or sorry, Tom Brevoort, the editor of, of getting artists that had a similar style. And we'll talk about this when we have Mike Perkins on, but uh, Steve Epting, uh, Michael Lark, um, Mike Perkins, Luke Ross, uh, Butch Geis, uh, all of these guys have a, a very, very similar style. Um, and in some cases, they're, they're uh, inking each other, um, which, which even lends more to a, a solidified style throughout all this, because that could be a little uh, jarring, right? When you're reading a story, and even though you have the same writer and it's the same story, but all of a sudden you switch artists and it has a different look and feel to the story, because they really do create a feel. We just talked about that last issue where it had this tremendous feel to it. And, and so part of that too, is the colorist, right? I mean, Frank uh, D'Amato um, is, is the consistent here. And I think that that coloring uh, throughout the, the, the story sets a tone. Um, and then I'm sure our, our good friend, Bob Sharon would agree with that. No, you're absolutely right, Rick. Uh, we, I, you know, just as an aside, we should we should try to get Tom on here sometime, the editor, and uh, it'd be great to talk to him about how he approaches uh, this task of, uh, of trying to match different styles. Yeah, that'd be great. All right, so opening page, we have a secure government re-education facility just outside Reno, Nevada. Hey, Bob, you were uh, you were traveling. Uh, to, to Nevada recently, just got back. Uh, you should have gone in and checked them out. And you know, to... I, yeah, I meant to, I meant to pop in, uh, but you know, I, I was in the Marines for like 25 years, Rick. So I got, I got enough re-education to last me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So there's these two guards walking um, inside uh, the facility, inside the fence. And um, they're just having a little conversation. And then they notice the sentry, uh, there's something going on with a sentry up there and, and, um, and he's missing. And so they, they start to call it in. And then you see uh, one of the guys uh, is, is killed. Uh, and then turning around uh, the other guy looks up and we go to the next page and there's crossbones and crossbones is coming at the guy and he stabs him in the chest and he says, quiet now. And then he uh, bursts into uh this this room and there's a a young girl and um you know she's got pigtails it's it's late at night she was in bed so she wakes up and she screams and crossbone says tell you what girly keep that mouth shut and you may just get out of here alive all right quite the opening scene here so we cut to the next page and it says above the altai mountains mongolia and there's uh, three helicopters flying in a blue sky. Uh, ETA is 90 minutes, Colonel Fury. Good. Any sign of trouble? No, sir. All clear so far. And in the back of the helicopter, we have Sharon and Steve sitting there. And Steve's got his mask off like he did before. And uh, she's got her arms folded. And she's like, what? Nothing. It's never nothing with you. What is it? Speak. We're heading into a firefight, Sharon. Maybe a big one. And I don't want us going into with our own baggage, too. Yeah? 
well, you should have thought of that earlier then, shouldn't you? So we cut to yesterday in Brooklyn, New York, and there's Steve uh, in his T-shirt uh, running, and uh, there's Sharon in the street, and she says, hey, oh, hey, Sharon, what the hell do you think you're doing, you son of a bleep? And, well, I just finished a 20-mile run, and I was planning to work on the heavy bag for a while. Don't try and get cute with this, Steve Rogers. You told Fury to take me off the team for the Kronos op. He told you? No, you did. Just now. Oh, that Agent 13. Tricky, tricky. So My, uh, my wife pulls that, 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 <laughs> that tactic on me all the time, and I fall for it every time. <laughs> Yeah, I always I try to have just the pace, the dumb expression on my face, but yeah, it's just I it, I can't hold it. You got to go, Shaggy man. <laughs> it wasn't me. <laughs> so they're walking. Next page. They're walking through a hologram wall, and she's like, "Like Nick Fury's going to give you up? Why don't we take this inside? Just tell me what you were thinking. I'm one of the best field agents you got." And he gives a little uh, eye. Uh, identification so that uh, opens up a secret door. Sure you are, but you're too close to this one. Oh, and you're not? Not the way you are. I want justice for these people who died in Philadelphia, and I want answers. You're looking for revenge. Oh, you are so full of it. You don't even think you can tell when you're keeping your anger bottled up? Just admit that you don't want me there because you're scared. Of what? That I'll kill him. Bucky. That's that's not true. And we don't, we don't know that's who we're dealing with. I saw him with my own eyes, Steve. I heard his voice. You didn't know him. Do you know how many times I watched the newsreels of you and him from the war? I know his voice. That can all be faked. Bucky would never have done what this winter soldier has. And he's standing there looking out the window, head down, his arm up, body language just showing how much he he's struggling with this and she's got her arms crossed damn it someone i love died in philadelphia last week and i'm going to see his killer brought in you can live in denial for as long as you want but i am going on that mission tomorrow so we cut back to the helicopter colonel fury you're picking up radar signatures can they see us not yet try to radio in our authorization before no Turn on radar invisibility. Maintain radio silence. Copy that to the other choppers. Sir, we're flying over sovereign territory. It's against protocol, too. I mean, if this is like an international incident, I'm well aware, kid. Just follow orders and you'll be fine. Leave the red tape to the big boys. Next page, New York City, two days ago. So Cap and Nick are walking in... uh, nighttime and uh steve says any reason we're not meeting on the helicarrier nick yeah a damn good one care to tell me not really but i will i can't get clearance for the op they turned you down i didn't even ask because what we've got is so slim they would just say no way the man is a mass murderer a terrorist how can the man is smart too he did just enough so we'd know that it was him that left us no way to prove it. Hell, his hands are so clean it's disgusting. According to the evidence, 
Jack Monroe is the prime suspect in both the murder of the Red Skull and the bombing in Philly. Steve just puts his head down. Jack, another thing this Lucan has taken away from me. Anyway, we're going in regardless, but it's going to be tricky. When Lucan disappeared off the map in Russia, it turns out his first move was to purchase land from China along the Mongolian border. The legality of this is shaky, but that piece of land is the headquarters of Kronos International. It's a corporate-owned country, basically, like he started his own little empire. And we're going to topple it in two days. Our intel says Lucan and the members of the board are having a powwow after their new merger with Roxxon, so they'll all be there. That works for me, but what? We need to talk about Agent 13's involvement. All right, so we cut back to present day. The three helicopters are coming in hot. Nick says to uh, Sharon and, and Steve, I trust you two have stopped button heads over this mission. Basically, we're fine. Right then, let's suit up, people. Our target is in possession of the Cosmic Cube. Surprise is vital. All weapons silenced. All contact over secret, secure channel. We hit the ground running in one minute. And the helicopter's coming in on this really tremendously tall building. I mean, I don't know how many floors. It's got to be over 100 floors. So they land um, and they come out firing. Steve comes throwing his shield, taking people out. Nick says, team two, I want those outer doors blown now. Muted disruptor charge. Next page, they're just taking everybody out. An explosion goes off. And uh, there's a guy behind Sharon with a rifle pointed at her head, but a shield ricochets off his head. She's, she looks up at Steve, who's giving her a helping hand and, and helping her up. I had that guy. I don't doubt it. I'm still mad at you. This doesn't change anything. I don't doubt that either. Is Ed Brubaker taking some some cues from the Mark Wade run? I mean, you know, that that little yeah. fiery thing between the two of them? Yeah, that back and forth that they have. Yeah, I love it. I yeah. love it. Good callback. So they're uh they're going into uh Kronos and they're going through and Steve is uh it looks like he's on his own separate mission, right? So he's he's there beating up a guy saying, uh, where's Lucan's assassin? So he, he, it's already showing that he's there for another reason. Um, so they get into an elevator and um, it's a cool scene. They're all there, you know, with, uh, Steve, uh, Sharon, Nick, uh, looks like four agents. And uh, the one guy says, um, left end of the hall, two guards on the door facing us. Cap says, not a problem. The door opens, and as soon as the door opens, Shield comes flying out, hits the two guys. And Nick's like, Rogers, no, wait. And uh, Steve bursts through these two doors uh, with the shield. And there's like five guys in suits, just, you know, business suits. Uh, Lucan's holding a Looks like a cup of coffee, you know, and a saucer in his hand. And he says, well, and Steve says, you, you. And he comes running towards him and he grabs him. Where is he? Where? 
and he, he's holding Lucan by the, the collar and he says, I'm sure I don't know what you mean, Captain. And there's one of the guys in the, in the business suit says, stand down, Captain, right now. That's a direct order. And Nick is holding his head and he's like, oh, hell. Sharon says, who is it? Chief of Staff of the VP. And right next to him, assistant to the Secretary General of the UN. Sharon's like, oh, bleep. <laughs> I said, now, Captain. You're from the White House? That's right. The Cronus Corp recently bought out Roxxon. We're here working on a deal from a pipeline from Majapur. This man's a mass murderer. He's responsible for the attack in Philadelphia last week. This is outrageous. He can't be serious. What is this, Fury? I thought the Philly bombing was pointing to some rogue, Jack Marlowe or somebody. Monroe, sir. And we believe he was just a scapegoat. Do you have some evidence of Mr. Lucan's involvement then? Not at this time. So let me get this straight. You mounted an assault on sovereign territory against an important friend to the U.S. and the U.N. on a hunch? Yes, sir. But there's more to it than that. And another guy pipes up. I should hope there is, Colonel Fury. And the Secretary General will want to know exactly what that is when you meet with him tomorrow. Of course, sir. All right, people, clear out. Cap's like, no. And you cut to the next page. We are not leaving without Lucan, Nick. Yes, we are. And the guy says, actually, Captain, you're leaving after you apologize to Mr. Lucan. And he turns and looks at the suit. What? Sharon grabs him. Steve, come on, let it go. We, we lost this one. I'm still waiting, Captain. And Cap says, then you can wait till hell freezes over and tell your boss I'm disappointed in him. So they're gone. And one of the uh, U.S. guys says to Lucan, the United States, of course, formally apologizes for the incident, Alexander. I can't imagine what got into them, but I assure you there will be consequences. And Lucan says, yes, I should hope so. So they cut back to um, Lucan and you can see the three helicopters are flying away. And this is... Um, one of uh, Lucan's associates, not, not the U.S. guy. And what exactly was the point of that, Alex? You could have cost us everything. You were becoming more like a woman every day, Leon. Should I make that more than just a similarity of tr temperament? And he's holding the cosmic cube. You, you, you wouldn't. How could you even threaten? Relax, old friend. I'm sorry. You're right. I don't know what came over me. That thing is cursed, Alec. Every time you touch it, I fear for your sanity. Don't be melodramatic. I have it under control. And don't worry, so I have no plans to use the cube for other than a few small things. And we look down, and there is a, uh, uh, a file, an envelope. And it says, stamped on it, Project Winter Soldier, confidential. So we cut to uh, the helicopters. And there's silence. Steve looks looks upset. He's got his arms crossed. Nick Fury does too. Sharon's sitting there. Sharon says, hey, this is just a setback, Steve. It was a disaster. Lucan played us again, laughed in our faces. Yeah, well, he's not going anywhere. He doesn't have to. He's got the cube. 
and we may as well have diplomatic immunity. Nick chimes in, no, I'm going to nail him, one way or another. I hope so, Nick, just so I could see that grin wiped off his smug face. You're too soft, Rogers. I won't be happy until I see that man dead. Last page. We cut back to the opening, just like uh, the other st- the other issue, right? We open and end the same way. Same here. And it's the secure government re-education facility just outside of Reno, Nevada. And there's a guard getting a knife thrown into his back. And, this, and the young girl has now got her hands tied and, and tied to a rope that um, Crossbones is, is pulling. She's, she's looking at the, the, the downed soldier. She says, you, you killed him. Nice of you to notice. Oh, God, are you going to kill me? Damn. These head shrinkers really did a number on you, didn't they? You even know your own name anymore? Of course I do. It's Erica, Erica Holstein. No, it ain't. You're Cynthia Schmidt, girl, the daughter of the Red Skull. To be continued. Damn, this stuff's good. Master storyteller. It really is. He's weaving, weaving. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Let's get to part three on the cover. Uh, this is, and this, this issue has uh, been going up in value because it is the origin of the Winter Soldier. We've, we've already been through the introduction. Now this is the origin. And uh, this one, uh, part three, on the cover, we have uh, the Winter Soldier standing in a white background. And then there's a bar, like kind of a, a band going through the middle of the white background. And it's all Bucky. It's all Bucky and flashback issues from World War II. And this is written, again, by Ed Brubaker. And then as uh, the art team goes, so we have uh, Steve Epting as the penciler returns. And then the finishes are Steve Epting and Mike Perkins. So Mike is uh, back on this issue. All right, so opening page, we have uh, Kronos Corporate Headquarters. And we have uh, Lucan going in his office, and and you see stuff on the floor. He's like, ransacking his own office damn it to hell where has it gotten to and there's a voice there's a voice in his head perhaps you misplaced it alexander don't be an idiot this is important well it didn't just disappear did it what have you done where is it i haven't done anything you're the only one who touched that file and then there's a intercom general lucan sir what well, sir, they're waiting for you on the runway. The, the, the trip to the States was set for the morning, wasn't it? Yes, yes, I know all about it, Valerie. They're just going to have to wait till I'm ready. Yes, sir. I'm sorry to bother you, sir. What have you done to me? And he's looking at the, uh, the cube. Next page, we, uh, we have Steve in his apartment complex, coming back from a workout, walking up the stairs in Brooklyn. And on the table is, remember that file I mentioned at the end of the last issue? The, the one that says Project Winter Soldier Confidential. 
It's now on his table. Steve looks very suspicious, and he goes over to uh, the wall, and he hits a button. Security report, last hour. All entries secure, no activity. No security breach? Negative, no activity. So where the hell did this come from? Damn it. And by the way, this is not your father's Captain America, right? He's been throwing around a couple of choice words here and there. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, Brubaker has has said in a number of interviews that, um, you know, he wanted a kind of a rougher, tougher uh, Steve Rogers. Um, he has some issues with some of the ways that he's been portrayed by certain writers, and he wanted to make him a, a more a, adult character. I mean, this guy's been around a long time. And um, so I think he's taken some liberties and... Uh, and this is this is an adult Captain America. This Volume Five run, right? I mean, this is there's a lot of Captain America comics. I think that uh, my son, who's 11, could read and, and enjoy. But, mm-hmm. but this is sophisticated, sophisticated writing and sophisticated dialogue. Yeah, no, and and, and it makes for one heck of a story. I, uh, I too, I, but I agree. Okay, so we get to and again, I said this is the origin issue. So a lot of this is going to be told in the story of flashbacks and notes right so um there's going to be different reports that are coming in from the different handlers of the winter soldier over the decades so this one here says doctor's notes may 5th 1945 comrade karpov's package arrived this morning package that's nice though whether we will be able to get anything useful from it as yet unknown the physician aboard Comrade Karpov's submarine has speculated that the subject's immersion in freezing water may have preserved him as it prevented his wounds, consisting of several severe lacerations on the left side of his body and the loss of his left arm at the shoulder from bleeding out. Since they have not the facilities to test this theory on board, he was kept in cold storage until he could be transported to Moscow. They have told me he was on a plane which exploded, but I doubt this. He must have leaped before the blast. From the appearance of his wounds, he was in close proximity to a small explosion, but perhaps 20 feet away, already falling to the water below. And so we have images of him being transported and the scientists and the the explosion. Uh, Next page, we have him on a gurney with the scientists over top of him. Um, And he says, tomorrow we'll begin the process of allowing the subject's body to regain its heat in the hope that his blood will still be viable for testing. We're using an approach for this that our spies smuggled out of Hitler's most secret laboratories. I have not personally witnessed it, but have read of cases where a body that is flash frozen has been completely revived. The case of the mother and child in Stalingrad frozen in a snowbank along the road for two hours, for example. I have little hope that will be the case here. But Comrade Karpov and his superiors are more interested in the analysis of his vital fluids then in his revivification. Apparently, Comrade Karpov once saw the subject in action and believe it probably that he, like his partner Captain America, has the much-rumored super-soldier formula flowing through, or rather frozen inside, his veins. All right, so Karpov went up against Cap and Bucky at some point, so he's got a little personal stake in this. Doctor's Notes, May 7th, 1945. Yesterday exceeded all expectation. Subject body's temperature was increased over the course of several hours, and his wounds were dealt with to prevent bleeding, 
When his temp was close enough to normal, it was if it was as we thought. His tissue and blood were still viable. But, as I predicted, he was in fact deceased. Either the explosion, the fall, or his time in the water had killed him. One of my colleagues had an idea that had not occurred to me. Since he had been frozen so soon after his demise, he suggested trying to revive him as if he were only recently deceased. We administered electricity, cardiopulmonary resuscitation, and adrenaline directly into the heart. And, and the pages are, again, scientists over the body experimenting. Next page, uh, they have all these wires tapped into him. And though I can still hardly believe it, the subject was brought back from death. It is not exactly the miracle that I previously read of, though, perhaps because of the time the subject was submerged in the icy waters, or perhaps because of the explosion that put him there. But whatever the reason, though we now, we now have a live subject, there appears to be a considerable brain damage. The subject has no memory of his previous life. What he does have, and as he tragically demonstrated on two of our aides, remarkable with only one arm, are reflex memories. So at some point, Bucky um, gets off the table and he starts uh, attacking um, the scientists around him. He knows the things he did before, how to fight, particularly how to speak four languages, including, thankfully, Russian and many other things. But he has no idea or why he knows these things. He is nearly a blank slate, but is an incredibly dangerous one. Thus, he is being sedated while further testing is completed. Doctor's Notes, May 21st, 1945. Two weeks of work to no success. A battery of blood tests were run on the subject, but it appears he is nothing more than human. There is not a trace of any additive or super formula in his system. After much discussion between our superiors and comrade Karpov, it was decided that the subject is to be put back into stasis. For what purpose? I do not know. So he's back in the chamber to be frozen. Next page, uh, the coloring is different. Right before we were kind of dealing with um, kind of different shades of uh, of of gray. It's almost like a sepia. Yeah, right? totally. Yeah. So now we're uh, we have and we have a different file that we're reading from, a uh, different style that has a symbol at the top and um, it says Ma Major General Vasily Karpov, Head of Special Section Department X. So now uh, Karpov is a general, right? So this is nine years later. Project Winter Soldier, June 1954. And we see a prosthetic arm, the one that we're, we know him for, that has the, the little red star on the shoulder. And they're, they're, in, they're attaching it to the body. And the report says, Volkov's man at MI6, Parsifal, has proved his worth. The, schema the schematics for advanced robotic appendages and attachment he provided two months past were revolutionary. Our science team finished a working prototype and attached it to the American without incident. With the new appendage in place, clearance was given for Department X to begin work on the Winter Soldier Project. It has long been my plan to turn this American symbol back against our enemies. 
He has no aid in developing our he was no aid to developing our own super soldiers, but he will st still be a valuable tool in the right hands. And then we see <clears throat> the arm is attached and it almost looks like uh, uh, Bucky like lifts the arm. So we go to the next page and um, he's sitting in a chair. And if you, you know, watched Winter Soldier movie, uh, it's very simple, you know, th this is, looks like they, they took that from, from this scene because he's in a chair, he's got this headgear being put on with all these wires and um, they're brainwashing him. It was our own experiments and mental implantation during sensory deprivation that provided the breakthrough. And because of the American's memory loss, it was quite simple. We were able to reprogram the American's mind. We gave him a purpose and we made him loyal to no one but us. Once that was accomplished, he had simply to train and prepare him for a field evaluation. And so you see images of him with weapons and, and training and, and fighting. Hopes are high that he will be a successful operative. I believe because he walks and talks just like them, because he exudes America with his every breath, that the enemy will never see him coming. Next page. <clears throat> So we see uh, Bucky now in a uh, American uniform, uh, soldier. And we see him at different places. Report, codename Winter Soldier, field test, November 5th, 1954. So a few months later. All objectives achieved. Codename Winter Soldier encounters no difficulty on mission. As predicted, Americans and allies mistake him for one of their own allow him unimpeded entrance into West Berlin. Winter Soldier spends evening in Berlin nightclub among many US and UK servicemen, unsuspected. Cheap overturns at 2.45, killing three soldiers en route to base from nightclub. Crash not investigated. Assumed drunken roadway accident. On mission completion, codename Winter Soldier crosses border, returns to handlers without incident. Further assignments under evaluation. Next page. Winter Soldier Mission Report, Cairo, January 11th, 1955. Objective, United Nations Diplomatic Negotiation Team. All targets eliminated without incident. Fire reported as accident. Winter Soldier Mission Report, West Berlin, May 14th, 1955. Objective, NATO General James Keller. Target eliminated with prejudice. Winter Soldier Mission Report, Madripoor, January 1st, 1956. Objective, British Ambassador Dalton Grains, target eliminated along with acceptable collateral damage. Madripoor authorities have no leads. And so in the background, these images, we see these three different events. And in right smack in the middle, we see Winter Soldier with his sniper rifle. Next page, Winter Soldier, Mission Report, Algeria, April 1st, 1956. Objective, French Defense Minister Jacques Dupont, target eliminated with prejudice, Algerian nationalist movement implicated. Winter Soldier, Mission Report, Paris, May 12th, 1956. Objective, Algerian Peace Conference Envoy, all targets eliminated. Winter Soldier, Mission, 
Report, Mexico City, February 17, 1957. Objective, United States, Colonel Jefferson Hart, target eliminated with prejudice. And again, these three scenes are shown. We see the victims. In the middle uh, scene here, we see Winter Soldier up on a roof with a bazooka blowing up a, the, uh, the envoy. So basically, since the, the first field test, which was in November of 1954, right, we've gone through and now we're in February of 1957. So we have over two years of him in the field. Now we cut to June 7th, 1957. Scientific analysis. A comprehensive ment mental evaluation of codename Winter Soldier was conducted over the course of the past week. Diagnoses are varied, but most in Department X science team believe that his mental state is becoming unstable. In the three years since he was awakened from stasis, it appears his mind is seeking to fill in the holes in his memory, or possibly rebelling against the implanted programming he received originally. The subject has recently begun to exhibit more than unusual curiosity, even to the point of questioning orders from superiors. And once in the past month, he attacked a fellow operative, nearly killing him. On interrogation, he could not explain his actions. One theory is that just as he has reflex memories, which allow him to be such an effective operative, may also have a deeply buried sense of who he was, or at least of what kind of person he was. As such, this deeply buried idea may be causing him mental stress and triggering turmoil in his thoughts. Another theory, which is more disturbing, is that he may actually be remembering his previous life, though in small pieces only is therefore our recommendation that Codename Winter Soldier be kept in stasis between missions and that he undergo mental implanation at every awakening. We believe that this will correct his instability issues so he can continue to be of use to Department X. Next page. Incident report, March 12, 1973. That's quite a leap. Basically, uh, you know, 16 years. I regret to report that more than 15 years of selective use around the world, all to great success, last month's Winter Soldier mission in the United States did not go as planned. The target, Senator Harry Baxter, was eliminated, and the death was made to appear accidental. But after that, something went wrong, and, and you see a, a man floating face down in a pool. Codename Winter Soldier failed to appear at his extraction point. His handlers waited and listened into the police transmissions, but he did not arrive, and the local authorities reported nothing that implied he had been apprehended. So here he is, um, Bucky, uh, or Winter Soldier, in civilian, uh, carrying a bag, and just uh, kind of walking out in the streets. Following protocol, our agents in the U.S. began a wide search for Winter Soldier. All extremes were taken to recover this valuable asset, including several sleeper agents breaking cover. And so you see these police officers um, uh, all like attacking Bucky. Through that considerable effort, we were able to track some of his movements. Security camera footage showed him in civilian garb at the Dallas train station boarding a train to Chicago. Interrogation of several passengers on board the train left the impression that Winter Soldier was confused while on board. He was apparently confused about what year it was 
and appeared uneasy around other passengers. In Chicago, he was seen boarding a bus for New York City. Next page, uh, we show him in New York City. His hair is longer. His movements in New York are unknown to us, but for two weeks, he was completely off the grid. It was only through sheer luck that we found by one of our agents sleeping in a flop house on the Lower East Side. It took several of our agents in the garb of New York policemen to take him into custody. Yet, even after subsequent mental conditioning, Codename Winter Soldier had no answers for his conduct or any memory of his time out of our control. While troubling, the incident appears to be an aberration, requiring nothing more than closer watch. It is further recommended that in future, he's excluded from missions on American soil. Next page. From the personal journal of Major General Vasily Karpov, September 1983. So nearly 40 years after he found Bucky in his sub, and here he is writing, he's an old man. Um, you know, he's hunched over with a cane. Against advice, I have taken codename Winter Soldier to the Middle East as my personal bodyguard. I am getting old, and I know there are only a few years left for me. So I wish to spend them watching this twisted creature defend my life. I almost feel sorry for him as he tenses up whenever anyone approaches, ready to dive in front of a bullet for me. It will never make up for what he and his people did to me in the war and how they shamed me in front of my own men. But even after all these years, it still makes me smile to see Captain America's partner serving Mother Russia. Let us see what kind of damage he can do in his country's effort in the Middle East. These next few years should be amusing. I am glad that Yuri transferred me. To hell with him. Project, next page, splash page. And we see Winter Soldier in a, in a clear glass stasis uh, in a warehouse, a darkened warehouse. Project Winter Soldier, final orders. August 4th, 1988. In accordance with Major General Karpov's final orders before his death, Project Winter Soldier has been decommissioned. Codename Winter Soldier has been placed back into stasis after his years in the Middle East alongside the Major General. No incidents were reported by the Major General during this time, but it is recommended that if Codename Winter Soldier is revived from stasis in future, thorough mental reimplementation be done to assure control of the operative. Codename Winter Soldier will be stored at an undisclosed location, along with much of Department X's abandoned experiments. He turns to the next page. And who's been reading all these reports this whole time? Steve. And he's got them all at his feet while he's sitting on his couch in his apartment. And he's grappling with reading all this. So he picks up his phone. Fury, I need you and Sharon down here right now. I've got something you need to see about the Winter Soldier. What is it, Rogers? You just have to see it, Nick. Trust me. Hey, Rick, I'm going to go out on a limb here, but uh, you know that that panel that shows Cap uh, sitting on the couch, Steve sitting on the couch, one of those files at his feet? There's uh, 
it's just a, this is just a nice touch, but on the windowsill, there's a small frame photo and I'm gonna put money that that's a picture of, uh, of Cap and Bucky from back in the day. Yep, yeah. It's it just, would make... a, just such a nice touch, right? Yeah. Yes, it's a, it's a heavy scene. So in the next page, Cap's having a flashback. He's remembering a time with Bucky and they're sitting in a movie theater and they're watching uh, Captain America and Bucky and soldiers, you know, in a, in a war reel uh, up on the screen. And uh, the, the movie says, as America's super soldier, Captain America with his sure shooting partner, Bucky keeps the Krauts on the run. So take that Hitler. And we cut to the audience and there's Bucky reaching into Steve's popcorn bag. And he says, ha, listen to the crowd, Steve. They love us. We should put on our masks and give them a real thrill. Easy, Bucky. That's not what it's about. We lost a lot of good men that day. Remember that. And we cut to the last page of the story. And Bucky says, of course I remember, Steve. Criminy. I held that poor kid's hand while he bled out on that field. You don't see that on the newsreel, though, do you? No one's cheering for that poor kid from Idaho. Cripes. Toro was right about you. What? What did Toro say? You're too serious. We get a week's leave, get to go home for a change, but you're bringing the war home with us? Gotta learn to relax, pal. I see. And Toro said all this, did he? <laughs> you're a real cut-up, Steve. Sometimes I think if you didn't have me... There wouldn't be a single person in the world who really understood you. And we cut to the last panel. And Steve and we and Steve's got his head buried in his hands, hunched over. The end. That got me. It got me. It got me too, man. <laughs> I gotta tell you. That's good stuff. Right there. Yeah. That's uh, sophisticated writing, you know, that gets, I mean, not only does it get Steve, but it is just, uh, it gets the human experience. Yeah. You know? I mean, Ed Brubaker, uh, brilliant storytelling as far as painting how much Bucky means to Steve without overdoing it, without doing the old 60s, 70s trope of, uh, oh, woe is me, right? Right. So he, he does that. But even more importantly, let's let's discuss how he brought back Bucky, right? Because you're right. He was supposed to be him and Uncle Ben, right? They're two people. That used to be the running joke in all the comic shops, right? I mean, and, and talk about this. I... um back when this story came out, I had a comic book store in uh, Atlanta. Uh, uh, you know, my, my store uh, was called uh, comic books, etc. And I remember when this story first came out and the reaction, and that's what people were like, Oh, come on. You know, that was like what we always used to say was like, well, you know, at least uncle Ben and Bucky, they'll never bring them back. And, and, it was almost like a challenge to Ed Brubaker. <laughs> He's like, really? I can do that. Right. And he did it marvelously, right? No pun intended. I mean, he, he did a phenomenal job. He took pains 
to explain, um, you know, I mean, that's that, that scene, uh, where they says, um, well, some people think he, you know, exploded on a plane, but no, uh, it's, he was probably more like 20 feet away from it when it exploded because he wanted to, he wanted to explain why he just lost an arm and, you know, the rest of his body wasn't, you know, I mean, like he took painstaking to, to kind of little details like that, you know, uh, for all those people that want to nitpick this to death. I think he knew ahead of time that he was going to get nitpicked to death and he wanted to, to account for every little detail. Yeah. You know, and I think, I mean, I'm going to go out on a limb here. Uh, and I'm going to say that that, that issue, uh, 11 origin story, uh, is perhaps the most detailed origin story I've ever read. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, the way it was done, it allowed for more, um, story because it was done in a way of, of, you know, manuals and reports and, uh, uh, journals yeah. and things like that. So that, that helped, uh, put more story in there, right. More dialogue. Well, actually very little dialogue. It was all exposition. Right. And, yeah. um, so, you know, well done, uh, Brubaker on doing that and, and well done to, um, you know, Steve Epting and Mike Perkins, uh, for, you know, doing, telling the story via flashbacks um, in, in a, a very smooth style, you know, yeah. it's, it's just, it flowed effortlessly. Yeah. And, and, you know, the way that, uh, that Brubaker said it in a uh, historical context, I think was just supremely brilliant. Yeah. And he's setting things up too, right? He's setting up the fact that Bucky is fighting his programming that, uh, and, and, oh, how about this real, you know, revelation? He was dead. Right. He, he yeah. was deceased. It wasn't, it wasn't like, oh, he was alive this whole time suspended in animation like Steve. No, no, he was dead. Yeah. He was actually dead. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So when it's almost, and, and I'm piecing this together as we're talking about this, it's almost kind of like, um, Brubaker wanted to make sure to pay, you know, respect to the people before he said Bucky was dead. Yeah, he was dead. He's not going to say he wasn't ever dead. He's not going to say, you know, I'm changing the story to say, no, Bucky never died. No, he died. Right. But he was, yeah, and, he's dif- and he's differentiating him from, from Steve who was in a state of uh, essential uh, suspended animation. Right? right. So it's different. It is different. And it, it's, it makes logical sense because Steve has the super soldier serum. So that could, you know, make for why he was suspended animation and wasn't, you know, killed, but Bucky's just a guy. He's just like you and me, right? He's just, you know, flesh and blood. And uh, so it, it makes more sense that he, he did die, but he just was, you know, frozen very quickly, which preserved his body. Um, so yeah, great story time. Yeah. And I, I mean, I would also, I think it's also important to, to point out uh, all those, this, this winter soldier storyline stands on its own and can be read and enjoyed on its own. Um, 
and a lot of arcs can be uh, a lot of arcs uh, storylines can be read on their own. But this storyline is embedded in a broader narrative. Uh, mm-hmm. like the whole volume is one story um, that uh, this is part of. But there's parts of this story that really they uh, they become more understandable in light of the entire storyline. So if you're going to read this, I, I encourage everybody to reread this if you haven't read it already, or I'll reread it if you have read it and read it if you haven't, but read the entire volume because this nests within the broader narrative and it's important uh, to that broader narrative. Yeah, absolutely. I agree hundred um, percent. I mean, the whole general Lucan, you know, uh, the first six issues, you know, kind of, uh, showing him and, and what happened with the Red Skull and the Cosmic Cube, that all leads up to this. So yes, if you are, and a great point, if you are new to comics or you just read volume one and you want to you want to pick up a story, uh, certainly the Ed Brubaker one, volume five, 2004, start with issue number one, you won't be disappointed. Yeah, like I said, I mean, I, Rick, you pointed out earlier, I was in I was in Las Vegas uh, last week. I read the entire volume, you know, because uh, after walking all day, you know, my kid and my wife were in bed by eight, and I had some time on my hands, and I was out of money at that point, so I <laughs> sat down in the easy chair in the room, and I read the entire volume again, and uh, it's 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 breathtaking. Wow, it's, it reads like a those, novel. How'd you get all those issues on the plane? Did you get like? bring a short box what'd you do <laughs> it's a secret man it's a secret <laughs> okay uh no that's cool i mean the fact you reread all that that's that's a lot of fun uh yeah. and and certainly and we're going to get into the next three issues right we're going to get into um in our next podcast we will go ahead and get into winter soldiers part four five and six which are going to be issues uh 12 13 and 14 and so we're, we're in for a big treat because uh, now, now that we know who, Steve knows who Winter Soldier is, now he's got to confront him. And so that's going to be fun. We'll cover those three issues in the next podcast. Well, actually, it's not our next podcast. It's going to be, uh, this is podcast number 19. So we'll cover that in uh, number 21, um, issues 12, 13, and 14. And then in podcast number 23, we'll have one of the artists on, Mike Perkins. So this is going to be, you know, ha- this is going to be a lot of fun, um, you know, diving into this this great story um, and with one of the creators behind it. Then uh, in between episodes uh, 18, 20, um, we're going to be talking about uh, the Falcon and Winter Soldier story. So, Wow. You know, we we haven't really talked about Winter Soldier up until now, and now we're going to be talking a lot. So I hope you enjoy it. Um, Please uh, call in, leave us a message, um, and let us know what your thoughts are. And uh, and also check us out on the, the Facebook page. Yeah, we want to hear from you. I mean, uh, this this is two guys talking cap, and uh, but we want to know your thoughts as well. So uh, please, please give us uh, give us your feedback. And speaking of feedback, uh, we did get uh, another five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And um, this one comes from Carl and his initials VWD. And the title of this one is Great Podcast. And he writes, Rick recruited me to join the Facebook group a while back. Then I discovered the podcast 
It's very interesting and informative. Keep it up, guys. And we do. We plan to do it. Uh, so we have so many things planned over the next um, few months. So can't wait to, to get into that. All right, Bob, as always, it's been fun wrapping cap with you. It's been a ball as always, Rick. I can't wait to, uh, to dive into the next three issues and our recap of uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier. Great week coming up. All right. He's Bob Lucius. I'm Rick Verbanis, and you've been listening to the Captain America comic book fan.